us, that helps us, that causes us to triumph in everything. Certainly there is no greater empowerment than that of the love of God. It empowers us to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors, and to be all that you've called us to be in this earth and in the world to come. We thank you for that assurance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today I'm going to talk to you and tell you that self-pity is for losers. Amen. Amen. Self-pity is for losers. Right? And that's not you. Amen. You are not a loser. And so if there's a tendency oftentimes, and I know with most of us there is, a time where we want to break down and feel sorry for ourselves, our poor plight. If you're going to feel sorry for somebody wasting your pity, waste it on the devil. He's the one that's got a hard way to go. Have you heard about that brother and what's going to happen to him in the future? Huh? So don't feel sorry for yourself. Self-pity is for losers because it's a spirit of false compassion that comes to console a person who has given up hope. When you have given up hope, not just in life, but hope for certain things that you desire out of life. Self-pity will come knocking on your door and try to offer you something. Amen. And see, most of us have been in the, the business of receiving and accepting it all of our lives. So it represents a stronghold. Hmm? It's, it's something big to fight. And don't ever underestimate the type and the duration of effort that it may take to defeat some of these uh, spiritual entanglements, I call them. You know, these are spiritual forces. A, a stronghold really is a conglomeration or a group of spiritual forces, spirits, and dynamic a way that they interact with one another that is is woven into a person's soul so that it will take a fight to untangle it. You ever you ever gotten like a um what's a common thing? You ever had something like a piece of rope that you buy? You know how they keep it nicely when it comes packaged? You know why they do that? Because when you don't do that, you get the result of that. You ever taken a piece of rope out and just balled it up and threw it somewhere and then you want to get it out and use it? That's what I'm talking about. That kind of a tangled up mess where only God can come and and detangle it for you. And and the anointing breaks the yoke that keeps it from, from being able to get disentangled from your life. So these things, I mean, this isn't just like come to church twice a week and you'll be great. This is homework. Take home with you. And and you practice this and you do this so that this thing doesn't continue to to uh, uh, run your life. And you can get divine control back so that you can have success in what you're doing. See, success, it does not... Your your happiness does not depend on somebody in your life straightening up. Can I say that? In church, you know, 
it, it really, you are not waiting on somebody to get it together so you can be happy. Nor are you waiting for something, some big uh, answer to prayer to come along so that you can be happy. You can grab joy and happiness and contentment anytime you want to. But if the devil has you bound, you, you can't grab onto it. Or if you go for it, it, it escapes you or you hang on to it for a minute and then it's pulled away from you. This is why you got to fight these things <clears throat> as strongholds. So um, I'm going to read you something. This is a teaching that we've had in our one of our uh, prayer manuals. I guess I should pull it out and put it in a new one, but probably put it in when we redo the new master prayer manual. But self-pity is a demonic spirit and system of thinking that helps preserve the old nature and keeps the believer from walking in the freedom and power of the spirit. So it's it binds you. Most of us don't understand the binding aspect of it because we're so comfortable with it. Huh? Because it's so common. You know, who hasn't had an upset in life and have somebody see them upset and come to console them? You got me? And that's just how common it is. Because as human, mere human beings, we don't really have the compassion and the love of God that will help us to understand how to, to help that person. You got me? See, if, if Miss Avis is upset about something and I come over to her and you, you see what I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm more or less trying to calm myself down. Because her upset then wrecked up my world already. You understand what I'm saying? And this is how we approach these things. See, we're more trying to, to calm ourselves and balance ourselves and help ourselves out. But in the meantime, we see problem here that needs to be dealt with. And so we go to the aid of the problem. And what we have are two souls now trying to entangle and, and console and control one another. Huh? Now, see, mothers are real familiar with this because you know when your kids cry, they dang, here they go again. Come on, baby. And you really wish the daddy would come and bust this up because he'll usually do that. Daddy see what's going on. He said, well, I'm too at it again. Why don't you quit babying that boy and just let him cry or tell him to shut up or let's try something different. See, there's part of us, part of humanity understands that it's wrong. But if it's merely humanity intervening again, it doesn't really resolve anything. You got me? Because the kid is still going to cry. But we got to dig a little deeper and get a real answer for that instead of just rushing to one another to calm each other down and and uh, so that we'll feel better about ourselves and the atmosphere is not disturbed and you know, all this kind of thing. Sometimes we get dependent upon, you know, your, your kids can get, start training the parents, parents. You know, you think you're training up the child in the way you get, and then you do more cartwheels than they do. Huh? Because they train you how to respond to them so that they can get what they want. And so what we have is a demonic system of controlling one another. 
with a little witchcraft, bibbidi bobbidi boo sprinkled in there, uh, whenever we want to. Uh-huh. Now, it, let me see who's, well, the kids, they know us, and we talk, whatever. But it, women, you know that this causes more, more marriage and romance than real love does. <laughs> it hurt my feelings. Oh, baby, 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 baby. Now, if I'm lying, I'm flat. Huh? Because I done worked it, you done worked it, we all work it. Because we don't have nothing else to work until God gets in the picture. Huh? <clears throat> so we've been programmed. To expect somebody to come to our aid when we're upset. We are, and many times we're upset and we want to hype them up a little bit more so we get a faster response from him. Huh? Now, you know, I can remember my husband would, would be upset sometimes. And because he would sometimes, you know, say things abruptly and, and, you know, we all do. Come on now, it's just human. And so he he said one time, you know, I was on the phone with him, and I got off the phone real quick, and, you know, I was upset about something anyway. I don't know what it was. You know, women are upset, like, at least once a month for, you know, a long time, you know. I noticed it in the little girls, and I'm thinking, what's their problem? They don't even have the hormonals we have. I told Rachel one day, I said, wait a minute, I'm the one with the hot flashes. You don't get the... You take yours back. It's my turn, you know. (laughs) But but he was he was on the phone with me, and really, I had God had had taught me how to get control over myself emotionally and get my soul back in balance through the Word, because He'd healed me from a nervous breakdown, and so. When my husband said something, and then he called back right away. And he said, baby, I'm sorry. He said, the only thing I could think when I hung up was I made you cry. And something went off in me and said, bingo. I have this power, and I have not been using it. You know, because I put the... But that just goes to show you these things will lie dormant in us for a lot of years. And trust me, I quit living off self-pity because it was way too expensive to me to live that way. But something in me just woke up again like, you've been sleeping for like 20 years here. You could have been using this. (laughs) Well, that's not a female trick either. I won't even put that in. But you all know what I'm saying. These things, because they are strongholds, are rooted very deeply in us. And you don't ever get to the point where you're not tempted to pull your little, you know, yeah, <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> Put it together and what have we got? Yeah, that thing. And so <clears throat> I decided when i when that that came up i said god you know help me to get control over myself because i don't want to go back to the old days of trying to get attention because i'm upset or trying to get him to move 
because I'd much rather pull a gun on him and hold him up for it. That's a lot more like believers do you. Authority. <coughs> you know. You know. But uh but it's it's very close to us sometimes, folks. We you you believe that you're free and you believe that you're not susceptible. But then there are times when things will come upon your life that you can't control. And so you have to make a choice of which way you're going to go. And I'm telling you the self-pity knocks on everybody's door to try to console us because there's something that we are reaching for. And if we don't get the result that we want immediately or if our suffering isn't alleviated quickly, you will have a tendency to try and accept an answer from your soul to make you feel better about the fact that you have a loss here. You got me? Now, God can give you the answer. He'll give you the right answer. He'll help you in the right way. <clears throat> he will strengthen you. You may not like his answer, but it's going to minister to a part of you that's going to strengthen you and help you to get stronger. Instead of weaken you and put you down and keep you helpless and make you a loser. You're not a loser. So you don't need self-pity. You don't need these strongholds to be activated in your mind. All you need is for God's system to kick in for you. So there is a system of righteousness that can come in to help you bypass this thing, but you might have to war with it for a season to get beyond it. So self-pity, then we said, is a demonic sphere and a system of thinking that helps preserve the old nature. Now, why do we have self-pity? Well, you have to have a certain element working in you to make you give in to it. And number one is pride. And we don't think of pity, you know, uh, pitiful people as being prideful people, but they are. So the first stronghold on your part is pride. Why? Because pride keeps us concerned about ourselves. When you're self-absorbed and self-concerned, then pride is in operation. Pride is always concerned about who's right and who's wrong and having our way and coming out on top so pride really is trying to help you conquer but you're conquering in the wrong way and for the wrong reason so pride will come in there to make you concerned about your image your position how you look to people So with pride comes an arrogancy and a hardness. And then pity will come in to kind of counterbalance that. So you don't seem as arrogant or as hard to yourself. When we have situations that come up in life. Say, for instance, you, you have a, uh, a strained relationship in your family somewhere. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And pride will come and, and tell you things like, well, you know, <clears throat> they've always been hard to get along with. And they never liked you and all this kind of thing. And pride will say, well, you know, they're just jealous. 
They're just jealous of you. This is how he pumps you up. And so you start thinking, you get a little haughtiness in you. Well, you know, they're jealous of us and never been friendly to us, etc., etc. But then somewhere inside of you, you think to yourself, but boy, I'm on the outside. They don't include me in things. I want to be included in things. And so then self-pity will kick in, you know. Well, you know, they, they really don't like you. They've always thought they were better than you. Look at how they treat your kids. They treat your kids different than they treat those kids over there. They show favorites. So self-pity always wants to come and console us rather than helping us out of it so that we can get to the goal. And the goal may be reconciliation. The goal may be a friendship. The goal may be a a, uh, uh, coming back together or a new start for something. That we're afraid to get into simply because when we got in there, it didn't feel right. We got hurt by their words or we took it the wrong way. Self-pity can keep you so absorbed with yourself that you start inventing things and magnifying them in such a way that you can never, they get so, the mountain gets so high that you can never conquer that mountain. Now, some people get wise late in life and they see how foolish it is. Boy, we've been had all these mountains around us and kept this family separated. It's about time for us to take these mountains and go over huh? and get them. And that's the God thing that will spring up in the situation. But then you've got to be careful that the self-pity doesn't rebound on you again because this thing doesn't like to give up. Huh? He likes the, this is part of the, the, part of the reason it's so hard to get rid of is because of the little thing at the gates of hell we, we talked about in empowerment meeting. We talked about this system, the gates of hell, that, that tends to make plans for our lives and tends to have conversations going on that our souls can easily tap into. And see, that's all that's happened is your mind has picked up on a conversation that's already going on about you to keep you separated and miserable, keep you away from God's best, to keep you from reconciling, to keep you from being joyful and happy and content. Because the gates of hell tend to like to keep strife in families. They like to keep secrets. They like to keep people away from one another, behind the scenes, and, and old wars and old injuries going on forever. That's what they like. So whenever we give in to this, this system of thinking, you know, they're, they think they're better than us. and They've never been friendly toward me. and They didn't like my mother and they didn't like her side of the family and all this kind of nonsense. And then you hold on to that. Then you're a good, good candidate for tapping into that ongoing conversation there that will feed you information, that will make you satisfied to stay distant from people, keep you satisfied to not have total family reconciliation. You know, sometimes you think about getting together with relatives and you have more sweat and perspiration than you have excitement and joy. Huh? Because you, you've just been accustomed to listening to that all of the time. So when self-pity gets involved, it comes in, in four aspects. Number one is false judgment. Where it begins to talk to you in a way that makes that other person seem wrong and you seem right. 
When you're right all the time, you can suspect that the devil's involved. Huh? You can suspect that the devil's involved. Huh? He says, I'm right and they're wrong. My standards are better than theirs. You know, sometimes you, you might have outlaws in the family. You know them people in the family. They don't get along with anybody. They're always in jail. Whenever we have a family gathering, they never show up. Huh? The outlaws. And so it's easy for, for you to lift yourself up in pride and say that you're better than they are. And that, you know, just let them stay over there where they are. But then there's God on the inside of you. See, you can go and talk to a rank stranger and preach the gospel to them, but you can't reach Uncle Bubba and them outlaws in your family because of this mechanism that goes on. See, when it's family somehow or somebody you know, you always kind of feel like you want to protect yourself against them. You know, it's like, well, they're close and they can hurt me. See, a stranger, you can witness to them and they can like it or not like it. They go on their merry way and you go on yours. But if it's a family member, then you've got to try and build a relationship with them. You've got, there's a, there's a, a vulnerability there that we don't like. Yeah. See, we don't like to be open where they can really say things to us or, or this might be real what I'm thinking in my head is so bad and it's going to be so hurtful. And so we have to be careful about how we judge people and how we judge situations. You know, people are not right or wrong. They're just people. See, you take the judgment away. You take the condemnation away. You take that, that judge's gavel out of the situation. And then all you have is two people. And what you might have on your hands is a long-standing misunderstanding. Because that's generally what it is with people. It's somebody did something years ago that somebody misunderstood and took it too far and nobody forgave and nobody tried, and so it's always been this way, and we're not going to see. That's the gates of hell prevailing against people, and that's what the devil wants. He wants to always prevail against us. He wants to keep us distant from one another. He wants to keep us fighting with one another, misunderstanding one another. He wants to keep us from, from bridging that gap, being givers, uh, so that we can go over into some of these territories and conquer for God, you know, and, and, and make a friend, <laughs> bring a family together, reconcile some people. And so our quest as believers then is always the ministry of reconciliation. And self-pity, I'm telling you, is one of the major factors why we're not successful in it because we're so eager to just write people off as a loss or we're afraid to go into some of these areas that are always been troublesome for us and we don't understand that we have new equipment, we have new weapons, we have new armor that we can go in and conquer these things in Jesus' name. And that's what God wants us as the church to be able to do. There should be nobody that you're afraid to talk to because they hurt you. Hmm? Nobody. Why do we give people that kind of power over us? That's a power we give to them. We should have the freedom to bridge these distances that the enemy has created for us. And if we will quit being concerned about ourselves and be more concerned about the mission of God in us to bring forth peace and harmony 
to bring forth new life, to bring forth eternal life. You know, sometimes we can be over here praying for a family member and don't want to see them. Huh? Absolutely. And then somebody slips up and calls somebody and you find out they're a Christian too. Hmm? Now this happened with uh, one of uh, somebody in the ministry. Their families had been estranged. Uh, their, I think the grandmother had split up with the husband who was his grandfather. And his mother never married his dad. So he never had any kind of men in his life to help him understand the things that you would want to understand as a young boy growing up and in a man to identify with and all this kind of thing. He never really had that. I think he may have had a few uncles or something. But you know, uncles come in and out. Aunts come in and out of your life. That kind of thing. Nobody consistent. And so it wasn't until his grandfather passed away and they were at his funeral that he found out that this was this man was a deacon in his church. He had led a youth group for over 20 years. People, the, the, the funeral was standing room only. And this was a man that his, he thought was a bad man because he'd only had contact with the ex-wife, his grandmother. You got me? So we can, you can, you will find folks that these kinds of strongholds are devised to keep people separated, keep us tormented, keep rob us of the rich life that God has for us. Because they will stand between us and the will of God and they will be caused the compromise then would be your personal comfort. You might have to go in and look foolish to somebody. And you might have to humble yourself and you might have to make yourself vulnerable. And that's the only price that there is to pay in these situations. And sometimes not even that. You'll get to see these people sometimes and you'll find out that they've been serving God and they've been praying. They've been praying for you. To come back into their lives. You got me? They're stronger in God than we are sometimes. Because the enemy has kept us blinded through the system of self-pity to see that we come out losers. You got me? How good it would have been if that young man could have had contact with his grandfather throughout the years. Could have had a godly influence in his life. Would have had an opportunity to understand what it really means to be a minister. This man ministered to so many young people. He said that they, they had to quit having people come up speaking. Because there were so many that he had touched throughout his life. But yet from his perspective and from the perspective of the family, this was a mean man. This was a bad man. See, that judgment thing again. So we have to be careful about the judgment aspect of false pity. The other part is a false accuser. Self-pity always wants to accuse a person of worse things than they are actually guilty of. Most people are only guilty of being human. Huh? They're only guilty of being human. But self-pity will make them out to be the worst, most despicable person in the world. Well, look at that. They're doing that on purpose. They do that because they don't like you. Well, they're trying to get even with you. Because, see, they, you did so-and-so, and they thought you did this and this. They have a whole long explanation for you if you'll sit and listen to them. 
to, to disturb your world and disturb your mind. Now this is how I, I had a nervous breakdown many years ago. It was way before I was a Christian, so don't get nervous. It wasn't yesterday. Now some people are. I want to put you in a bad mix anyway. <laughs> but out of that experience, salvation came to me. But you know what? God began to show me how I kept giving in to that spirit until it got to the point where I couldn't control it anymore. Now see, some people, you know, some people have enough self-control or self-discipline or whatever. I don't know what makes the difference. But if you can stop thinking stupid, do it immediately. Don't let yourself go down the road a while because there's no guarantee you're going to turn around and come back. Somebody might have to go down there and get you. Huh? But I can remember coming home. I was having, you know, my husband and I seemed to argue a lot. And I would come home and I would sit and I would listen to certain music. Huh? Yeah. And this music kind of ministered to me. And I can see now what it was doing was encouraging myself to sense of self-pity. See, I was already feeling helpless and feeling like I couldn't do anything. And, and it wasn't going to get any better. And so I would just kind of console myself listening to ideas that made me feel like I'm doing the best I can. I can't do any better. And so I'm just here and he's a, a mean person and he's just treating me bad and, and, you know, he's just all this. And before long, he was the biggest monster that I knew and I couldn't get out of it. I wound up having to go to the hospital and get medication and five years of therapy to get better. All because of giving in to this thing. You got me? So I'm telling y'all, don't play around with this at all. Many times we live marginal in God because we keep running back, letting this thing feed us a little bit, feeling better about ourselves because, of course, we're never to blame for anything. Huh? Before I met the Lord, I had a lot of faults. I mean, a lot of them. None of them unforgivable, but I wasn't like an innocent person being victimized. But self-pity can make you feel that way. Can make you feel that you've never had a fair chance, that life is never going to be fair for you, that nothing good is ever going to come your way because it's all stacked up against you and they don't like you and they don't care about you. You ever notice that they never gets identified? It's the same they that we all carry around in our brains. I just realized one day they is actually a pack of devils. That keep telling you this and kind of pointing a finger at an imaginary other person that supposedly has all this power over your life. Huh? If you're not careful, God will get to be in the they. Huh? Because then he don't want you to have no fun. or You know, he don't want you to have a boyfriend or I don't see why, why they go past the bar telling young people they can't date. I didn't tell you couldn't date. I tell you this, what they call dating out there now, that's not Christian activity. 
So if that's what you're thinking about doing, don't go there. Huh? All these dates with, you know, halfway clothed and no clothes on at the end of the night, that's not no date. That's not anything for Christians. Huh? For Christians, y'all better get a chaperone. You better get three. Huh? <laughs> uh, that's the they that's out to get you. Is them date devils. Huh? <laughs> you better get seven or eight. <clears throat> I remember Josh Harris, the guy who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. When he wrote that book, oh boy, Christians had a fit. And then sinners would invite him to the schools to talk. Yeah, come talk to our kids because we need somebody to tell them that there's something else they can do. But he said when he, even after he found the woman he was going to marry and proposed to her, he had a friend and she had a female friend. He had a male friend to keep them accountable. And he said, he said there were a lot of times we would be, you know, having a good time out somewhere and then the end of the evening would come. Mm-hmm. What do we do, you know? And he said he learned to just call it quits at the end of the evening, but not without counseling. He said he'd call his, his, his guy, the guy was, that he was accountable to. He said he would call him at the end of many dates. Well, do you think we could just go? And he said, no. Well, do you think we, no. So he said, I finally just start taking her home. You got me? Now back where I came from, that's normal dating. You know, I mean, if you dated somebody. You know, a lot of times kids, when we were teenagers in high school, they'd start to pair off like in 11th or 12th grade or something like that. Now if you were smart, you went solo. They called you a nerd. They called you stupid. Buck teeth. Ugly, fat, but you got out of school with your diploma and you went, you made something out of yourself, huh? <laughs> you suffered the persecution that came with wanting to be somebody, huh? But even then you could feel sorry for yourself and give in to that. Well, you know, I need a boyfriend. Everybody else got one, huh? Biggest mistake you can make in your life sometimes. Huh? It's terrible to marry somebody out of pity. Huh? You know, boys, all they do is beg. High school boys. You got that, didn't you, brother? It's always gimme, gimme, baby, baby, gimme, gimme. You know, they never get tired of begging. Huh? <laughs> they ain't too proud to beg. <laughs> they humble themselves that way in a minute, and take it and keep running, huh? I didn't love you. I did that out of pity. Okay. Hmm? It's the truth. And all you men say amen, and I repent, because <laughs> you know it's the truth, huh? Oh, no, I got over there, but I'm getting off, so praise the Lord. (laughs) What self-pity wants to do is defeat you, to convince you that you are a defeated person. 
So we said there's a false judgment. I'm right and they're wrong. False accuser. They never do anything right. They hate me. They'll never change. A false comforter. Well, I have to do everything. They never, they never contribute. I'm the only one that does this. They take advantage of me. I'm the one who has to be responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yours. You got <laughs> who else you expect to be responsible? It's yours. Huh? I need some time for me. The more people backslide, trying to have some time for themselves. Huh? Your time with, for yourself is between you and the Lord. That's where you go and get your refreshing. Huh? I don't have time to get in the Bible for an hour. Just just meditate on one scripture. Huh? Give him that much time. But see, we're so accustomed to this weakness that we want to present all the time. We're too comfortable being weak and accepting weakness in ourselves. And that's why self-pity has such a field day with people sometimes. Because it can keep us just within grasp of what we desire from God but then come and tie your hands and convince you that you can't have it. If it gets to be a struggle, if it gets to be a delayed response from God, then this thing will come into play and start convincing you. Number one, it, you know, with the religious part of it, will always tell you, you must have done something wrong. See, that's bad when it starts accusing you. But that sword can turn on anybody. It used to accuse people, them, used to be they, now it's you. And so it'll tell you, you've done the unpardonable sin. It doesn't say that. But if it's anything that you think you've done that's kept God from blessing you, that's what the devil's really trying to tell you. That there's something the blood of Jesus didn't pay for, and you've done it, and you've done it too many times, and that's why God didn't give you what you were asking for. Huh? Uh All you need to say to the devil, devil, you know what? I ain't dead yet. And I'm well able to take this mountain. I think I'm going to ask God again. Huh? I think I'm going to keep pressing in for it. See? See, that's the strength that we have in us to overcome the gates of hell. But self-pity comes in in such a subtle way sometimes. It's almost like a little whisper. And pretty soon you've accepted it because somehow it makes you feel better about yourself. That you aren't able to do something. You got an excuse, you know. Huh? Be careful with your excuse making. Whether it's for yourself, your children, your spouse, or anybody. You don't need to make excuses for people. You just need to pray for them. Pray the word over them. And that will take care of all the excuse making and all the need for it. It'll strengthen them when you start praying the word over them. I have somebody I pray with and I've prayed with them off and on for years. And this person has yet to really pray earnestly, I believe, for the salvation of their children. It's amazing to me sometimes. Parents, and and watch this when you get older, always pray the word or make sure your children are measuring up to God's word and not up to your standard. Of what you expect. Because many times parents know how to console themselves with a little bit of effort from their children. You know? You know how when they first start to draw 
and for some reason I love little kids cartoons maybe because I didn't have any so you know they all look cute to me and wonderful and I just collect them all you know when I see parents okay I saw that but <laughs> you know but it's like that sometimes with parents it's like that first little drawing that they made for you that was so cute that had a little heart on it I love mommy I love daddy or whatever and that sticks in your mind and in your heart where their efforts are concerned and so if you're accustomed to expecting I would say this giving over reward for little effort you're going to have to change that because God has great expectations for your children because they're the seed of the righteous see you can't be satisfied ever with anything that you see out of them because you you yet have to know their potential many times you have no clue as to what their potential is in God so you have to keep pressing in for more even though they did that encourage them in it and that, but in your prayer God I see they've accomplished this what else is there for them what else can they conquer what else can they do and make sure you put the righteous things first that they love God that they're faithful in church that they're faithful with their giving that they're good good uh, parents to their children raising them up under the word and so forth and so on and always keep that word first and that word with preeminence and don't let the devil come and go well you know look at what all they've done and at least they're not this is the other thing the devil does at least they're not out taking drugs and at least they don't bring no babies in the house embarrassing you huh but what we have what God has in store for your offspring is far greater than at least they're not standard that's not the standard for your offspring the standard for your offspring is change the world with their prayers huh if you can change the world with your prayers they can change the world with their prayers even more so and so always keep pressing in don't let yourself get comforted with just a little bit or what they did last year because pretty soon it'll be 10 years and their last accomplishment was 10 years ago and so you have to always keep that before the Lord when you talk to other people about your children and share with them you know what I'm expecting God to do so and so and so and so with my kids and they'll know how to set their hearts in agreement and their words in agreement with your expectation and you'll find that you have less people being critical of you and your family you'll have people less people being judgmental toward them because they share a higher vision for you and what you expect out of your offspring amen so don't let self-pity steal rob the future of your inheritance too and your seed then the last one is the false advocate the one who is the <clears throat> the lawyer or the one who wants to defend you all the time well I don't know I'm just not able to do this I don't I don't pray right I haven't been saved long enough always making some kind of leeway for disobedience instead of repenting and letting God show you the way out see there's a way out of these situations so you don't always have to come up with a void and being a loser in Romans 837 the Apostle Paul talks about having come up against a lot of difficulties in his life and in his ministry. And he summed it up by saying, 
that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen. Romans 8. In verse 31, he says, Then what should we say to all these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Whenever you suffer a setback in something, and trust me, there are many, what we consider to be setbacks sometimes is a lot of progress in God's eyes. But you've got to let God show you that. Oftentimes we step out in faith in things and because it doesn't happen the first time we pray we want to get upset about it but then God teaches us that he did honor that prayer and he encourages us to continue to make our stand that it's coming somehow something comes into your heart that refreshes you that begins to encourage you and begins to spur you on and so he says if God is for us who can be against us he is for you if you don't give up He's for you if you look for the next prayer to pray. He's for you if you go to the word and you can get counsel from God as to what this means. God, I prayed for this and I prayed for it for three years now and it hasn't happened yet. What does that mean? And God can show you what it means. He can show you the progress that you've made. He can show you when it will happen if you'll stay with God. He can show you how to be peaceful and how to be calm and not be upset in the waiting for things. Everything that God promises you comes by way of inheritance. He'll begin to show you those things. Is it Yes, this is, this is right, but it's not right for this time. It is yet to come. And so God will encourage you and he'll encourage you to stay with his plan and stay with what he has for you. But you've got to go to God with it. You've got to stay out of the gates of hell. You've got to quit listening to the concourse and the conversation down there. That will try to tell you that, that to give up. It's no use anymore. Some of the things that we wanted, we want them, but we don't want them as much anymore. Sometimes our zeal gets diminished. And it's going to take a certain amount of effort and desire and zeal and want to to finally reel that promise in. Paul talks about being persecuted on every side. Did you know that, that sometimes it's not the waiting for a promise that's wearing you down. But it's persecution that's coming because you serve God. You realize what, what believers go through would kill the, the ordinary sinner? You know, if you, you, you look at it, you know, every time you look around... Your kids get sick and your pockets getting drained because you got to keep taking them to the doctor. Or there's something wrong. The enemy keeps getting in there and somehow this won't break. you got a stranglehold on your finances. Again, it's short at the bank and you're getting overdraft. These things happen over and over and over again in the course of a day. Believers have to face these things from all sides. Then you got people, the in-laws and outlaws. You got people at church that you're not sure if they like you or not from time to time. You got people outside the church you're not sure about that. And so these things can break a person. And then you add that to the fact that you're still praying for Bubba and he ain't looking no better, no younger, and no greater to you. And then you get mad about that. Well, how come that's taking so long? You got me? And so <laughs> Paul says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. Huh? So then something happens, this thing snaps in you and you say, wait a minute, I'm going to break this thing off of me because if I keep thinking this way, I will be a loser. I will give up. I will quit. Huh? The Bible says for us not to get weary in well-doing because in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. If you don't faint. You'll reap if you don't faint. Many times people have walked away from a harvest because they have no energy to pull it in at harvest time. Huh? They've so let the devil sap their energy and told them, you'll never get this, you'll never. Every time somebody tells you you're never going to get something, your grip on that loosens. Your strength in your arm weakens when you think about, oh, yeah, I'm reaching out, but I'm never going to get where you loosen your grip. And so these things are very important for us to make sure that we stay in a, a state of mind where we're in the word, where we're letting the word minister to us and feed us. When you find yourself loosening your grip on what God told you he's going to do for you, you better slap yourself 15 times, flip around 17 times, click your heels and say, there's nobody like Bubba. There's nobody like Bubba. Huh? <laughs> to keep yourself encouraged. You do whatever you need to do. Because you can lose heart. You can faint. These things can slip away from you. You'll be here 40 years, 50 years, still saying the same thing. It's a coming, it's a coming, it's a coming. Because you've already counted yourself out. You've counted this as a loss in your life. Simply because the normal process of things is taking place in your life. Whatever you're going through, it's a normal process, folks. There's nobody here that's so disobedient that you've walked away. But this is normal process for believers to reel in things. You realize if you're looking for for God's word to come to pass in your life, you're in the minority as far as Christians are concerned. Did you realize that? Most Christians don't pray. They're not looking for God to do anything, especially anything big. They look at the big ministries and they wonder how that happened. Because they have no concept of how even to get into the game of faith. And so they're not fighting to hold on to something and fighting to believe God for anything. They're just coming to church and going home. And hoping they can pay bills and hoping the company don't go out of business and hoping, hoping, hoping. But they don't have much on the table as far as their faith is concerned. They're not willing to move if God tells them to move to get a prayer answered. You know how many people come to this ministry from out of town because they said God sent me here because I was praying for so and so and they said to come here. Huh? Most people don't do that. Most people don't want God that bad. Most people don't want anything from God that badly. They think if he can't bring it in the one hour they spend in their meeting, then they won't get it. You got me? And so we have to understand, folks, that when you undertake a real relationship with God, 
and you undertake a real ministry in God and you undertake a real life in God and a prayer life in God that you're going to have to use every weapon that God gives you in that Bible you're going to have to borrow some off your neighbor you're going to have to do some unusual and unique things just to make your stand so that you don't give up so that you don't lose heart Sometimes your promise can look like it's right at the door and you could yank it in. And then you try to make a yank and there's no strength there. You got me? And you think to yourself, my goodness, i got to start this the process. What did I do wrong? How did I get here? Why is it taking so long? Tormenting you. But you withstand anyway. But don't let it sap your strength. Don't let yourself get to the place where you don't feel that zeal and you don't feel that strength. Ask God to renew that in you. Like Paul says, we are more than conquerors to him because of this great love that he has for us. Loving kindness and God's compassion are always strengtheners. God never consoles us and tells us, oh, don't worry about it. You you didn't miss much. Mm-hmm. When something doesn't happen that you expected to happen. You were praying for it. God never tells you you didn't miss much. What he'll tell you is keep standing. huh? I'll bring it back around again. I'll bless you with it yet. I'll increase your latter years will be better than your beginning years. Because what I'll do for you. God always ups the ante. He always makes it stronger on the receiving end for you. Because of what you endure on the labor end of it. So that's what Paul means when he says we're more than conquerors. You get to defeat the devil. You get to step on his neck. You get to see him defeated. And you get to enjoy what it is that he gives you. You get to enjoy it. Now you may not think you're going to enjoy it. But you enjoy it. You enjoy it in the way that God has designed for you to enjoy it many times we want things for the wrong reason we want too much too fast too bad and when God gives it to it all gives it to us all that too much too fast too bad is gone because that's what he's working on while we think we're waiting on something huh huh you thought you couldn't live without a man for 20 years but I showed you you could Huh? Thought you couldn't do it. I was your man for 20 years. And when you was with Bubba, you couldn't see me for looking at him all the time. Huh? I will have no other gods before me. I don't care if they black, white, Asian, whatever they are. With a ponytail, a ring in their ear, whatever. Huh? I will have no other gods before me. Huh? So you thought you couldn't work and take care of yourself. I showed you you could because I was the power behind everything that you did and you never knew it as long as Bubba was there. Hmm? But I will have no other gods before me. I will have no other gods before me. Many times we, we have these dreams and they're good dreams. But if we let God have his way, he has better dreams for us. Better dreams. Better dreams. I never thought I'd be my age I am now and a widow already 10 years. 
I was nervous about having to write my own bills out. Not that I can't. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I write the bills for the ministry, so I can write them. But I didn't want to. I wanted him to do them. And when him wasn't here, I, you know, I don't like this. Got to make adjustments. You know, these are the adjustments you think, you know, you know one of you is going to leave first. You think maybe five minutes. Before each, you know, your ideal is you don't want to let go of people that you married to, and then God shows you that He has a plan that allows that individual to live out the length of their days according to their relationship with God. How do you know what they want? How do you know what they've talked to God about? Why are we still trying to call the shots for everything all the time? Amen. And so God shows us not to be afraid of these things. How does he show you? You go through them. The best way to not be scared of something is to go through it. And go through it with God. And you find out there is no perfect life for a Christian. There's Christians who have have death, early death in their lives. They have widowhood. They have divorce. They have separation. They have rejection. They have... Betrayal, they have all kinds of things, but we are still more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Huh? You know why? Because we're not losers. We're still here. We're still fighting. Maybe we feel sorry for ourselves a little bit, but you know what? I'm going to stop that little bit. I'm going to make Him leave me alone. And I'm going to quit letting Him sap my spiritual strength from me. Because no matter where I am in life, I still have God. He still loves me. He died for me. And I am not a loser. Yet I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Amen. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can accuse you of doing anything wrong? The reason your prayer hasn't been answered yet. He said, God's the one who justifies you. Who is, it he, who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died and gave, is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. What more do you need? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or the sword? <laughs> That's what Christians go through, folks. You don't have an ordinary life. You've got enemies that are visible and invisible. And he says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Huh? We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's the Christian's life. But even though we have all of that, we don't feel sorry for ourselves because we are not losers. We're not out of the game. We haven't given up. We haven't quit. Even though all of that is against us, there is so much more that is for us. And he says, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. He says, because I'm persuaded. None of this stuff. Huh? Here's a man that was stoned so many times he had to finally appeal to Caesar to protect him. You know, the great apostle Paul. You know, he always trusted God. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. 
He'd go into a city and he'd preach Christ, just his usual thing. And all the witches burned their witchcraft books. Turned the city upside down. They put him in jail because the witches couldn't talk to their their spirits anymore because they had all renounced them. They didn't want to do it anymore. It made all the, the witchcraft devils leave a city. And we can't even get most people to <laughs> believers, uh, preachers. Oh, don't let me go there. Let me just stop right now. Huh? We don't have people will that kind of power anymore. We just don't. This generation, we, we haven't seen that in a real long time. You don't see a, a more Cirillo raised up anymore, a Lester Sumrall raised up anymore. The ones that will make the witches quit and go home and quit doing what they do. Huh? You don't see it anymore. Maybe they're working undercover. I praise God if they are. Huh? But he's he'd been through all of this and, and even appealed to Caesar for protection because he was so afraid for his life. And he talks about all the things that he endured, persecution, peril, and the sword. And he says, no, he says we're more than conquerors through him. This is the normal for the Christian life, folks. Enemies on every side, not only visible but invisible ones you've got to be concerned about. But we can do this. We can do this. Why? Because of his great love for us. He says, I'm persuaded. He said, I used to kind of have my doubts sometimes, but I'm totally, totally persuaded that neither death, who died in your life, they didn't die yet, praise God, they're going to die sometimes. You're not going to be able to stop it. You want them to be healed all the time, but sometimes you won't be able to stop it. You understand me? He says, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, height, death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can self-pity separate you from the love of God? No, it can't. You're not a loser. You're more than a conqueror. When things happen bad in your life, you go to God with them. You don't need anybody to help you to feel sorry for yourself. You don't need to accept defeat in it. It's just a temporary setback, if anything. Oftentimes, it's not even a setback. It's more of an advance, and the devil's trying to keep you from knowing what it is. You got me? (laughs) You got me? To God, you know what? If it didn't happen today, I know it's going to happen. And I'll rejoice today before it happens because I believe you that it's going to happen. Huh? This is the way you beat the devil. You check into the joy club. Huh? You check into the joy club. And you tell him, you know what, devil? You're not going to get me feeling sorry for myself. I'm not a loser. Self-pity is for losers. It's the last consolation prize for somebody who's given up hope. And I'm a person who's full of hope. Because as long as God's alive, I have a chance. Because I'm holding on to him and I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not diminishing what I'm asking God for. In fact, devil, now that you mention it, I think I'll ask him for more. I think I'll increase what I'm asking him for. Maybe I'm not asking him for enough. You got me? And always understand that you are more than, more than, more than an overcomer. 
See, you can overcome, you can win any battle. You can get you a lawyer, you can pay out a lot of money, you can win. But in Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You know why? Because you get to walk in a place where you didn't know you could be walking in and be comfortable there. You got me? You thought you would have to have all of this and all that and all that to be happy. And I realize, God, that I'm just as happy right now where I am. And I don't need all, I don't have to wait until I get something before I can be happy in my life. I can be rejoicing right now because I have you and that's the greatest thing in the world to have. And don't let the devil pull the wool over us like that, folks. Don't let him trick you into thinking that you shot your best shot and it's not going to get any better. It's going to get better. Because God's in heaven and he can make it better. But we got to hold on to him. Amen. Just hold on. Don't let go. And don't let the devil convince you that you've lost anything. You've only gained. Amen. Praise God. Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to understand how to stay free. How to stay free and not feel bad. Father, for those of us who are yet waiting, haven't received, let us know that our answer is in progress. It's in process. That it's coming. It's moving toward us. It is closer to us today than it was yesterday. It's closer to us at this moment than it was moments ago. And I thank you so much, Lord, for giving us the tools to fight that we might disentangle ourselves from the bondage of self-pity. That we're not losers, we're more than conquerors. Because of your great love, your great loving kindness, your great tender mercy that is so great toward us, Father. It's the best thing. And Lord, the blessings that you give us only add icing to the already wonderful cake that you've given us in Christ Jesus. So we thank you for that, Father. We bless you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen.